Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, I'm done. Thank you. God bless you. Go home, right? And you know, one thing about the story of David and Goliath and all the stories in the Bible, here, here's what you learn as a pastor. You try to do new stuff, right? But can I tell you something? David kills Goliath every single time. The story never changes. But here's the part that I want you to see, and this is, why, this is why it's dangerous. This is why I want to bring this story. Because oftentimes we look at that story, and because we've heard it a thousand times, it is underwhelming to us. But I believe that there's some principles from this story that God wants to bring out for your life, and he's got a plan for you, and that God wants to use you in an equally amazing way. And so today we're going to talk through that. And here's what we want to talk about. How do you have victory? You know what? A lot of Christians are even afraid to talk about that. I see so many Christians that, that don't win, you know what I mean? And it's almost like a badge of honor for some of us to go, we're just suffering along, and, and, and there's no victory in this life, and I have a feeling it's a lot of it has to do with perspective. So if that's you, that's okay, I'm not picking on you. I'm saying, I know, I felt that way, I felt that way this week. <laughs> but there can be victory, and there can be victory over life's giants. Anybody facing a giant? Or, or something that feels like a giant, or something that feels like it may not be a person, but it might be a situation that you're going, I don't know how to do this. It's bigger than me, and I don't know what to do with this. And today we're going to take a look at a story that I believe will help us know what do we do, and there's a pattern that's worth following. And I'll be honest, it's a pattern. When I say that, it's not just a pattern for this story in the Bible. It's a story, it, it's a pattern for so many stories in the Bible, and it's a pattern for victory. And so today we're going to talk about that. One thing you've got to know, though, is this, that if you're going to do something significant, you are going to face obstacles, and that's normal. And do yourself a favor. Don't just curse the darkness. God's got a plan. He wants us to be overcomers, and today we're going to learn how. So if you want to, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, if, if you can go back and read this in its entirety. I wish we had time. I have tons of verses today, and I still didn't get them all in. So go back and read it, and you may learn other things that are pl- applicable to your life because there's so much in this story that I was only able to pull out uh, certain pieces of it, okay? So, so 1 Samuel chapter 17, I believe we're going to start with verse 23. Yep, verse 23. And before we go to verse 23, I just want to set the story up a little bit for you because it's going to require some setup maybe. Um, if you've heard the story, you kind of get the idea. But the setup for the story is this, is that Israel was at the time of war. And oftentimes in ancient times, they had certain times of the year that they would do battle. You know, we don't do it in the freezing cold. We go out in the springtime or we go out in different times of the year. We make it convenient to kill each other. I mean, that's kind of what they did. And so different enemies would come along. And the Philistines were some of their enemies, and they had kind of come against them. And if you follow the children of Israel, what happens to them is when they're not serving God like they should, oftentimes other enemies are invigorated. And that's kind of what's happening here. And so they have a king who was the first king of Israel, an incredible man who made some, some horrible mistakes. But he hadn't really, he really confessed his sin, but he never really repented for his sin. Does that make sense? And so he was trying to do as much as he could, humanly speaking, but he was running into a huge obstacle. And the obstacle was this. On one side of the mountain was the Israelites, and on another mountain was the Philistines. And they, and, and they weren't ready to battle yet. They kind of had this standoff going. And they're kind of like, well, how do we want to do this? And so they came up with this plan. Hey, you know what we'll do? We'll give you a, your champion. You know what I mean by that? It's like, 
you get behind one person to fight, and it's kind of one of these thoughts that goes, we'll send out our champion, you send out yours, and whoever wins, that'll determine who's winning. And the other person will be our slaves, or we'll barter for a better deal. But the point is, instead of all of us having to die, maybe just a champion can die. Now, that sounds really good, unless you have to be the one to be the champion, right? <laughs> Especially against what they are facing. So the, the, the person they're facing, you've probably heard of him, his name is Goliath. He stands nearly 10 feet tall, no, no joke. And he was a warrior since birth. Now, there's a reason why I'm mentioning this. If, if you've been, how many people have been in the military? How many people know somebody in the military? How many people have watched a film about somebody in the military? <laughs> yeah. Is anybody, some of you guys aren't even awake, okay? So, so, but, but, but understand this. For those of you that have been, there's a difference in talking about combat and seeing it. And there's definitely a difference between fighting somebody at a distance and fighting somebody close up. It really is. And I know that just playing football. Here's what you know. It's like if you've seen NFL players, you're like, they don't seem so big until you walk up to them, right? And some of you guys know what that's like. I mean, I remember we went to the PIT tournament. Anybody ever been to that? It's like a basketball championship tournament. And sitting on the bleachers, I went, those guys don't seem that big. Man, that is amazing what they can do to dunk. And you stand out on the court and you're going, wow, these guys are huge, you know? It's a big difference when you're actually facing the enemy. So every time Goliath would come out, he'd come out and he would yell all these obscenities to him. And what he was doing was he was just picking a fight. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody like Ronda Rousey? Anyway, that's a whole different issue. <laughs> but MMA fighting. And so, so, you know, those people, they talk a lot of junk, and that's what he's doing. But he's talking it like a warrior. And, and every time he does it, it's scaring everybody to death. You come out here and face me. You send your warrior. And if you do, and he's shouting all these vile things that he was going to do to him, and you can imagine it runs the gamut. And, there, and, and instead of it invigorating them, what it did was it made them afraid. Now, now, the worst thing in a battle, you know what it is? It's not to die. You know what it is? To shrink. If you ever shrank from a battle, then you'll know it's the hardest thing to recover from. And the Israelites have now shrank in their fear. And they're paralyzed. I don't know if you ever experienced that. Where you face it or you see the battle and then you're afraid. And, and it happens to some people where they sink down in foxholes. And you don't really know until the battle starts. But they'll sink down and they almost do this. They cover their ears. I don't know if you know, you've ever seen that. But it's like it's this feeling of just trying to get as small as you can. That's where they were at. Maybe, maybe you feel that way. I don't know. And so as they're there, this is taking like 30 days of this where Goliath is coming out every day. And he's getting more and more emboldened. And they're getting more and more afraid. And then David shows up. Now, David was a shepherd boy, okay? I mean, his brothers were there to fight, and they probably had an age limit. But we believe that David was probably 15, 16 years old, something like that. So he comes out on the battlefield to, to give his brother some food from his father. And, here's, here's, and so he sees this for the first time, verse 23. As he was talking with them, he's talking about the soldiers out there, and he's asking, hey, what's going on? Where are my brothers? And, he, and he's just kind of carrying on conversation. And you've got to understand, I don't know if you've ever experienced this or if you've got teenagers or whatever, they're seeing it for the first time. So what is dangerous to the rest of us, what is just happenstance to the rest of us, which is just normal every day, you know, just horrible conditions, want to get out of here, it's exciting for him. He's never seen the battlefield. So he's out there, and he's looking at it through these young eyes that are going, wow, we're here, and I still believe that there's heroes kind of thing. You know what I mean? I still believe that God is for us. I still believe that God can do something. You know what I mean? You ever had that where it's like, I don't believe that anymore because I'm so old. I don't still believe it anymore. I've just seen so many bad things. But David's still in the place where he can believe. And so he's sitting there talking it up, and he's all excited. And then, what does it say? The Philistine champion from Gath, that's Goliath, comes out, and he stepped out on the battle line, and he shouted his usual defiance. And, this is the part I want you to circle, David heard it. David heard it. 
Now, everybody else is just doing what they normally do. But David is hearing it for the first time. Sometimes this is needed. He's looking at it through a whole different lens than everybody else. This is important to the story, okay? Circle that. Verse 24. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. See, I I wasn't making this up. This is what it actually says. They all ran, and they saw him, and they're scared to death because they're thinking, is it going to be me and all this kind of stuff? And then verse 26 David does what? He asked. So the first thing he did was he heard. The second thing he did was he asked. He started to inquire to go, what is going on? I don't understand. I don't understand this situation. David, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Is there anything going on? And they tell him about, well, Saul's actually said he'll give you enough money to live out the rest of your life. He'll actually give you his daughter. Well, that's probably not the best thing, but, but okay. <laughs> Have you seen Saul's daughter? Okay. Maybe. And, uh, and you don't have to pay taxes for the rest of your life. How many people would just sign up for it just for that? I mean, it's, hey, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's worth facing them just to do that. And so, so he's kind of like, okay, that's what you'll do. And then he says, he picks up on this part because he's kind of a dreamer. He's still, he's still, you know, an optimistic person about life. And he goes, who is this? Underline that. Who is this? He's asking a question. He's kind of like, why is this standing in your way? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I thought we, I thought, I heard, I've been growing up with the stories all my life that Moses parted the Red Sea. I've been growing up with the stories all my life that all these things and amazing things have happened. And I remember the times of the judges and Samson and all these other people that have done just incredible, awesome things to these same people. And we stop believing that? Is that what's going on? So he's asking a question. And this is the part I want you to kind of see. If you want to have victory over the giants in life, okay? You want to have victory over the giants in life, number one, you got to have a holy discontent. That's what it starts with. Now, let me tell you why people don't have a holy discontent. You want to know why? One, because maybe they're a little too passive, okay? They're they're thinking, I, I don't need to get upset about things. But, 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 but let, me understand, let me let you know something. This is not an oxymoron. It's okay to be upset about bad things. It's okay to be upset about injustice. And every vision starts, you know what vision starts with? Every vision, it means a picture of a preferred future, starts with an unmet need. It goes, you know what needs to happen? This. Now, how you go about it, I'm not, I'm not saying you need to be militant about it or anything like that. I'm not saying you shouldn't be positive about it. I believe that you should. But I'm saying holy discontent goes like this. It's holy, meaning it's from God. It's discontent, meaning something's not right. And I'm tired of saying, well, that's just the way it is. And you look at it through the lens of going, you know what, something could be done. And he's asking a question, who is this guy? Why is it, you know why we can't have peace? You know why we can't have the things that God wants? Because there's a huge giant standing in the way, see? And the reason why people don't dare to have these thoughts, you know what it is? The giant. All the focus becomes, well, that's nice. But that's not possible because of Goliath. You get the picture? Now, let me ask you a question. What are you saying that about today? What is it you're saying? It can't be done. Right? It's true. A lot of us do. And you're going, it took a 15-year-old boy to walk out on the field. Nobody else is asking this question, by the way. You know? Can I tell you why? Because they're thinking, I don't want to have to go out there. Right? And David, understand, it doesn't start, holy discontent doesn't start with, I'm supposed to fix it. We haven't answered that question yet. He's not jumping in there saying, it's me. That's not what's going on here. What's going on is he's asking, why is it? And that's where you start. 
Why is this a problem? Why isn't anybody doing anything about it? Why is the church not able to do anything? Why is it we have to have sex slaves in this world? Why is it we have to have these injustices in the world? That's what he's asking. When there's a God. All right, that's number one. You must have a holy discontent. Now, now, this would be nice because this is the part where dreams are made of and now the hero is going to come out and everybody's going to be happy and they're all going to applaud you, Superman, right? That's not how it works, though. Okay, anybody agree with that? This next part will catch you off guard and it often is the place where people stop, okay? It's, it's where the church stops. It's where a lot of people stop. <laughs> it is. And it's this. 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. When Eliab, David's older brother, Okay, now he's quite a bit older. He's probably a young adult, probably late 20s, early 30s, something like that. Heard him speaking with the men. So now he's not talking to Eliab. David's just asking questions, you understand? And David hasn't said, I'm going to go fight the giant. That's not what's going on here yet. He's just asking a question. Let me tell you what it does to Eliab, okay? He burned with anger. Can you underline that? Now you might not think that. But when you start asking questions about how we can change things in life, let me tell you something. There's people on the outside that are going to get angry. That's what it means. When you start saying, it could be different. Now, you're not saying what the solution is. Don't start with a solution. Start with what first, okay? Start with why first. Don't, don't start with how. David hasn't said how. David's only said, I think this is a problem. And because he said it's a problem, his brother got mad. What? Why did you say that? Look what he says. It looks like a brother. Anybody got a brother <laughs> or sister? That, that puts you down if you try to step out. and It's like they want to put you in their place. That's, that's kind of what he's doing. And he asks, why have you come down here? See, he's, now it's intention. You ask that question, why are you here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? That's a dig. See, I'm going to put you down. You know who you are? You're just a shepherd boy. Who do you think you are? You don't come down here and talk to us. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. You're young, you're dumb, you don't know what you're doing. Why did you come down here? You shouldn't be talking to these people. But what, what I want you to see about this is this, the critics. Okay? This is where a lot of people stop. You know what? They criticize me. Yeah, and they will. One, I just want you to be aware that that's going to occur. That as soon as you start really getting honest about saying, hey, this is a problem, there's going to be some people coming out to woodwork and say, what, 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 why are you saying that about me? I didn't say anything about you. I said, why is there this injustice? Well, you're saying that about me. I should have done something. Oh, wait a minute. That's what they really meant. You're saying I should go face him. I can't face Goliath. I know that. Nobody's saying that about you. Can I tell you something about anger? Whenever you're disturbed, the problem is you. And this right here, this anger, this insecurity he has is coming out and venting out. And just be aware that when you start talking about making changes in this world, you're going to get some criticism from the people that are closest to you oftentimes, from the people that see it, and you're going to start getting this, you know, I can't believe you're doing that, you're like this, and they're starting to put them down. Well, what makes you think you can do anything about it? You can't do anything, you're just a shepherd boy. And David kind of looks at him, and you can read the, chap- the verses yourself, and he says, you know what? Um, well, maybe I could. <laughs> and that makes him even hotter, you know what I mean? And then all the other guys are going, what? We got one. We have a live one. Somebody actually will do this, you know what I mean? This little kid, we'll, we'll let him do it. That's fine. Let's see what happens, you know. We don't know him. No problem, right? And David's going, yeah, I believe I can do it. I believe it. You know, and it's like, you're an idiot, you know. What are you thinking? And so verse 31, let's pay attention to what happens. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. This is what he said, I, I, I'll go out there and fight him if nobody else will. 
Well, that's kind of dumb. And, and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. So Saul is the king. And so Saul brings him, and, and Saul is in a place in his life where he's an older king. He's fought many battles, but he's kind of he's had this thing where, where he has sin in his life, and not everybody knows about it. And the blessing of God has moved, and honestly, you can go back and read this for yourself, but the blessing of God has actually moved to David. Most people don't know that. David was anointed the king. But, but when he was a kid, he don't even know what that's about. So this has nothing to do about David being anointed king. It's just that, that, that David was, and Saul doesn't know that. So Saul has nothing against David. He's not angry at him. He's not mad at him. He's not really trying to put David down. But some people who are thinking only with human wisdom, here's what they'll do. Okay? I want you to pay attention. Saul replied, you are not able. You know that? Saul is looking through human wisdom, and he's going, yes, I understand we need to defeat the Philistines. Yes, I understand that we serve the living God, and he's done all these incredible things that you're talking about. But you can't do that. See? And and, and he even explains it, which isn't wrong what he's saying humanly. To go out against this Philistine and fight him, you are only a young man. He's not insulting him. That's who you are. And he has been a warrior since his youth. This guy has been winning battles before you were born. You get the picture? And he has notches in his belt that says he's killed more people, better people than you. He is the champion. He goes out and faces other champions. You get the picture? He will destroy you. You can't do it. Can I tell you something? There's people in life going to say, you can't. Because they're looking through the lens of human ability. And it starts, number one, it starts with a holy discontent. Get it? And that holy discontent, not every need is a calling. Not every need is God calling you to meet. But when God calls, it's probably going to be an impossible mission without God. And if you don't believe that, then, then read the Bible. Because every story starts off with an impossible mission that God is calling people to do. And it's scary. Can I tell you that? It's a scary mission. You're going, you can't. You're right, you can't. Let me tell you something about that. It's something I learned about training fleas. Does anybody know how you train fleas? <laughs> it works, too, I guess. I don't know. I've never actually tried it. But, but you take fleas and you stick them in a jar. If you want to keep them in a the jar, well, first off, fleas will jump out of the jar. Did you know that? It, if fleas were our size, they would be absolutely un- unbelievable because the way they can leap. They, jump out, they can jump out of the jar. I mean, they can jump further than what you can imagine, okay? But if you want to train a flea to stay in the jar, here's what you do. You take the fleas, you stick them in a the jar, you put a lid on, and then they die, and they won't jump anymore. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> That's terrible. Don't, so, don't say that. T- there's little kids in here. I'm really sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you put holes in the jar. Don't put them too big or they'll get through the little holes, so, Okay. But if you put little holes in a jar so they can breathe, you put them in a jar, and they'll start jumping still. See? They haven't learned that they can't. They're going, no, I want to be free. I can get out of here. And they start jumping, and you know what happens to them? They start hitting their flea brain, their flea head on top of that jar. And they will jump, and they will jump, and they will jump, and all of a sudden it starts to hurt, and so they're basically knocking their little flea brain out, right? And then they go, then they go you know what? One of them, one of the smart ones finally says, you know what? You know what would hurt less? if we stop jumping so high. So maybe we just jump just high enough that we don't hit our head. Don't that make sense? Yeah. And then, once they do it, all the rest of them kind of fall in line and go, yeah, that's right. That, that makes sense. That's, 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 that's efficient. That's good. And, and then you can take the lid off the jar, and guess what? 
the fleas won't jump out anymore. Can I tell you something else they've learned in studies? You can take other fleas and stick them in a the jar, and they won't jump out either. You know why? Because the one, that's the, the, the one that's the oldest will tell them, you can't jump or you'll knock your flea brains out. Don't, hey, listen, listen, you can't change that. This can't be changed. You get where I'm going? There's companies out there. You might work for them. Okay. The biggest employer, the United States government, right? No, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> they need this lesson, right? It can't be done, right? We couldn't do it and neither can you. Can I tell you the church does the same thing? It's the way we've always done it. Why do you think? You think you can reach them. No one else has. We can't eat. You can't either. And they get that negative thinking. You get it? And he's going, you can't. You can't. It don't mean any disrespect. But they learn that you're trapped. And the lid is off the jar. And God is saying, jump, because you can do this. I'm calling you to do this. And the only one that would jump. You see, you see the, the, here's, the, here's the part I want you to understand about this story. I don't think that David was God's first choice. That really sounds unbiblical, doesn't it? I mean, it really is. I mean, probably shouldn't have said that. You know why David was God's choice? David is the only one that believed. (laughs) David is the only one that said, you know what? I think we're serving God, and maybe we could do something here. In fact, he goes on to say this, verse 34. But, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Now let me tell you what David didn't do. This is so important. What David doesn't do here tells me why he's worth highlighting. Because if he had done what I thought he was going to do, he would not be worth highlighting. It's bad to say old people with experience shouldn't speak up. And young people that have all enthusiasm and no plan, that's what this message could have went. Can you write down? That is wrong. There's so many examples in the Bible that say, you go out there without a plan, it's going to be your head on the spike. Okay, And I see it all the time. That's not what David did. David brought up something here that you're going, I'm I'm not sure you're making a very good case for yourself here, David. You did what? You're a shepherd boy? And that's going to help you as a soldier how? (laughs) When a lion and a bear came and carried off uh, my father's sheep from the flock... You see what he's saying? Everybody's going, what? I don't think these dots are connecting, David. We're talking about a giant 10 foot tall. What is your skills? Well, I'm telling you. I've, I've killed a, a, a lion and a bear, probably really small ones because this is Israel, so they're not large lions and bears there. Okay. Verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because I'm so skilled. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. That's the important part. The reason he'll fall is the same reason I killed the lion and the bear. Now, that doesn't sound like anything to you, Saul. doesn't sound like anything. But it is because I'm remembering what God has done. Verse 37, the Lord, circle it, who what rescued me, circle it. From the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. You see, I'm I'm equating something. I was faithful over here, and God did this for me. And I know God, and I know what he's capable of doing, and I couldn't have killed the lion, and I couldn't have killed the bear. But I did because of the Lord. And he will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Now, it's a little different when you say that, because it's like you didn't see the other stuff. Can I tell you something? Champions are made in obscurity. It's a fact. Every champion God's ever used, every hero God ever calls. Okay, now, that's not, that's not the way of the world. I get it. 
It's not, it's not yay him. They, they, nobody even knew who David was. Get a, you get a picture? And he's going, God did that for me, and God did this for me. And that doesn't mean anything to you, but I believe that if God did that, I'm remembering what God did. And Saul said to David, don't know if I believe that. <laughs> okay. I mean, I have a feeling that's probably what he's saying. He's like, okay, if that's what you think, I'm, I see you're a little excited about it, go ahead. And that's probably what he was about saying. It's just like, I don't believe any of that, but, but okay, if you think it and you want to try it, then it's your head kind of thing. And he's like, go ahead. Go do what God is telling you to do. Number two. Number one, you got to have a holy discontent. That's what this is about. David had a vision. David had a plan. David started to feel, hey, God is calling me. No one else will do it. No one else believes God. I'm not even the right one for this job. This is how it starts, guys. Okay? That's why I'm saying it. David's going, I'm not the right one. Saul ought to be out there. My brother Eliab ought to be out there. But the reason why David, the shepherd boy, is out there is because there is no one else. No one else will step up. That's how heroes are made, get it? That's how God calls out people to do extraordinary things because he's looking for somebody to believe him. And David is going, yeah, he rescued the lion and bear. So here's what it is. Number one, you have to have a holy discontent. Number two, you've got to focus on God, not, not critics, okay? You've you got to focus on what God is calling you to do, not critics. Now, here's the important part. You better make sure it's God who's calling you, okay? Because if it's yay you, this ain't going to work out well. And God's not going to bless it. Let me tell you something. You could even slay the giant, and it still won't work out well. We'll get to that. But don't focus on the critics. Focus on what is God calling you to do. And here's what the Scriptures say. You know what God, the Scriptures say? If God is for you, you want to finish that? Then who can be against you? If I can raise my own son from the grave, how much more could I do for you? And in the book of Ephesians, he says, I can give you that power. So you don't have to be afraid. You get the picture? What are you afraid of? Don't focus. Oh, I know what you're afraid of. Somebody criticized you. Can I tell you how many Christians won't serve God anymore because somebody said something mean to them? Well, they're going to. Can I tell you how many people, they're out of the fight because somebody told me I can't. The establishment said, I can't. Right? Who are you focused on? People or God? If God is calling you to do it, right? They're going to make fun of you. Yeah, you're going, to get, you're going to get people that are very well-intentioned to try to do things. But let me tell you something. You focus on God, not your critics. Let me, let me help you with that, okay? You know who doesn't win? Critics. I'm serious. There are not one monument that I know of in the world made to the critic. You know why? They haven't done anything. And some of us have to listen to that because we think our spiritual gift is criticism, not doing. Can I help you with that? If that's all you're doing, you haven't done nothing. And you won't get to victory because no critic gets to victory. Okay? Monuments are built for people that do. You know who God's looking for? He's not looking for somebody to criticize. He don't need your help on figuring it out. He needs somebody to say, I'm willing to do what you're calling me to do. And then don't worry about the critic. Just realize they're going to be there and don't let them get you out of the fight. All right, Saul does something else. And this is why I say Saul's not a bad guy. He's just, he's just kind of misinformed. But here's what he does next, verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own. I want you to underline that. Saul dressed David in his own. Now, he's trying to help, and he's going, let me give you my experience. Now, what Saul didn't have was a good relationship with God, so he couldn't point to God right now. But Saul had every intention of helping David. So he's like, I want this to go as well as it can. I can't imagine this is going to go well. But what I've learned in 30-some years of battling I'm going to have to teach you in about 30 seconds. So 
why don't you put on my armor? You're going to have the king's armor. That's pretty nice of him. And he, he put on a coat on his armor and, and, and a bronze helmet on his head. <laughs> so he's, he's trying to help David out. Verse 39, and David fastened his sword over the tunic and, and he tried to walk around because, because he was not used to them. And David says something, and I want you to underline it, okay? David says, Paul, Paul, Saul did what? He gave him his own stuff and put him in that. And David said, I cannot go in these. Okay, underline it. This is very smart and wise on David's part. He's going, I, I can't do this. You can't teach me in 30 seconds what it's taking you a lifetime. That's obviously not what God is calling. I can't be you. That's what he's saying. He said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Now, that goes against all conventional wisdom. Now, I'm not against conventional wisdom. I'm not for change, just for change. I'm not saying you shouldn't learn from other people. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is this. David is doing something really important here. You know what he's saying? I can't be someone else. I can't be somebody I'm not. I'm not going to do it like you because I'm not made like you. And if God's calling me, I can only use what God has given me. That's, That's a message for somebody here. All kinds of us are trying to be an imitation of somebody else, and we go, they really do it great, and then we're just a bad copy of them. (laughs) And David's going, I can't be your copy. I can't do what you do. I I don't have that kind of wisdom. And so if God's going to use me, obviously it's not like this. That's so smart. It's so smart. Verse 40, here's what he says. Then he took took off his staff. Then he took his staff in his hand. Okay, Underline in his hand. He took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, and he put them in his pouch in his shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. How did he go? With what was in his hand. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot until you start looking at the Scripture, what that means. You know what God uses? What's in your hand. (laughs) That seems so simple. Frenchie said it to me one time, and I didn't think it was very profound, so I didn't say it again. And then, uh, and then I started to look, and he, he wasn't wrong. He was absolutely right. It's, it's one of the greatest theological principles I think I've ever learned. God used what's in his hand. What's in your hand, David? A shepherd's staff in a sling. That's what I'm used to. That's what God gave me. Hey, where do you, else do you see that? You, you, know what, you know what God used in the life of Moses? Moses had a staff. Now, now how, many, how many, you can raise your hand if you want to. How many think that the staff parted the Red Sea? If you got really good at using a staff, you could go out there today and just hit the Red Sea and it would part. No? You know what God used to part the Red Sea? What was in Moses' hand. How many think it was the hand? No, it was the power of God. But God used what was in his hand. Let me tell you something. When Jesus said, hey, we're going to feed 5,000 people, and they're going, that's impossible. That's impossible, Jesus. They're going to starve to death because there's nothing. And he goes, what do you got? Well, why does he need what they got? He can create it from nothing, can he? Yeah. But what did he use? What was in his hand, right? The two loaves and the five fishes, and he fed 5,000 people from it, right? What's in your hand? You get the picture? Some people, he puts a guitar in their hand. He puts that in my hand. I don't know what to do with it, right? Some people, he gave a mouth. (laughs) Some people, he didn't. Don't be something you're not. Be what God made you to do, and that's what he's calling you to do. What is in your hand? Don't be somebody else. Be what God is calling you to do. And God will do something incredible. Here, here's number three, okay? Number one, you've got to have a holy discontent. Number two, stop listening to the critics. Focus on God, not the critics, okay? Number three, number three, 
trust God, not human abilities. Okay? You're going to want to trust in human abilities. This is what's been done. I agree with methods. I agree in studying. I agree in all of that stuff. Let me tell you something. There's going to come a day where God is calling you to do something, and you're going, human abilities is not going to get the job done. God wants to use you with what's in your hand, but please don't think that what's in your hand is going to get the job done. Anybody think that that five fish is going to feed 5,000 people? Anybody think that Moses' staff's going to part the Red Sea? Anybody think a shepherd boy is going to kill a 10-foot-tall giant warrior with a sling? And no armor. (laughs) Trust in God. Verse 41, meanwhile, the Philistine... All right, so let me explain what happens next. Now he's he's getting ready to go out. (laughs) And meanwhile, the Philistine, with a shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer. Now... It's like I said before, you don't really understand the, the size of people until you're standing next to them. And when you see a giant that's armor bearer or shield bearer, is, the, the shield is bigger than the guy in front of you. You start to get the magnitude. There's something I want to point out here because this happens whenever God calls you to step out in faith. You know what that is? There's going to come a moment right here, and I see it in all the stories of the Bible. I've seen it. When I've stepped out in faith, I haven't always stepped out in faith, but when I have, I've always seen this. You're going to feel stupid. There's, I don't know how to say it. I don't know how else to say it than that. There's going to be a moment where you step out and you're going, everybody's behind you and all of Israel is cheering. And just when you turn and you see that giant coming at you, you're like, this is the dumbest thing I have ever done. What am I thinking, right? See, everybody thinks that this moment's going to come and you're going to go, I've got all the answers. I know how God's going to do this. That's not it. I'm going to rely on this great plan that I have. No, because you don't have one. You're an idiot stepping out to do this thing that no, everybody else is saying you can't do it. Okay? Your brother, the king. Somebody else tells me you can't do it too. Let me tell you who it is. Verse 42. And he looked David over. Now, David thinks one thing, like, my goodness, this guy's huge. This guy's thinking something else, and it made him mad. He's a warrior, so it makes him mad. He saw David, and he saw he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsomeness, and he despised him because he looked good. Yeah, that's part of it, but the other part is, this is what you send to me. This is how little you think of me. I'm ready for a brawl. You see, this guy, you you don't understand Goliath. If you think Goliath is scared of the fight, you think Goliath is scared to die, you're mistaken. Goliath wants to fight. And he's mad. And he's looking at him. And it makes him mad. They sent David. (laughs) You'd have to meet people like that to understand it. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Guess who else is insulting David? Can, Can I tell you where a lot of people shrink? They're all in it when everybody's going, good job, David. I can't believe you stepped up. And everybody's chanting his name. And then he turns. Now the giant's here. And the giant has just said all the things that you fear the most. All the things that are in the back of your mind. You can't do it. You shouldn't do it. He's telling him everything everything that was criticized before. And then he goes on to say this, verse 44. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. How does that make you feel? Oh, this is going to be bad. You get it? 
And after I'm done with you, then he goes on to say what I'll do to your family, what I'll do to the rest of you. You see, and in that moment, there's fear that strikes into people's hearts. And in that moment, here's what people do with it. Can I tell you? They do just like Eliab did. Most people, when they get to this moment, here's what they do. They go, that's too much. And they get mad at God and say, God, I can't believe that you put this giant here. I can't believe you put this injustice here. I can't believe that you wanted me to do this. That's impossible. And they shrink and they do so in fear and they wring their hands at God and they go, God, I don't believe that you did this. I understand. Because you're thinking to yourself, here's what you're asking. It's the same thing I ask. It's the same reason I shrink. Let me tell you something. There is nothing worse than shrinking back from a fight and it will make you want to blame and do whatever you got to do, but it is the worst feeling imaginable. And what happens in these moments, some of you guys have been there, and God's still calling you, see? He ain't done with you. He ain't done with you. He's teaching you something here. The question is this. Here's the question. You need to ask yourself this. Why didn't, he, why didn't God remove the giant? Did you know that God could have moved him without David? So why do I need to be out there? You could have moved the giant. Because, number four, if you want victory, you got to face the giant. And I already know what the question is. It's the same one I have. Why? You could do that. You know what? I didn't need your fish and your loaves of bread. I I don't need your staff, Moses. (laughs) I don't need, and there's a story in the Bible in the book of Kings and Chronicles that talks about this guy named Jehoshaphat, and, and they had this army that comes, and God destroys the army before they even go out on the battlefield, but they don't know it. And God asked them to go out and play music on the way out. Okay, That's what they do. They're not ready to fight. They're not ready to do anything. And they march out on the battlefield, and the enemy's already destroyed, but God didn't tell them. And they start marching. Let me tell you something. You feel real stupid when you walk out on the battlefield, and you go, what am I going to do? And play music? And God's going to take care of this? Let me tell you something. The first time you step out like that, you're going to feel so stupid, all right? Let me tell you something. When you see a giant warrior in front of you, and he's yelling all these things at you, and everybody else is behind you, and you're going, this is stupid. What am I doing here? Because God called you. Let me tell you something. You want victory, you've got to face the giant. Why? Because God doesn't need you to kill the giant. God needs you on the field. And that's, that's a pattern throughout all Scripture. Every time God does a miracle, guess what he does? He has the so-called hero on the field. You know why? Because he's doing a work in that hero. And we don't like that. But that's the truth. I've learned the lesson. No, you haven't, because you're going to see something on that field. Let me tell you something. The person whose faith was increased the most that day, who do you think it was? You must face the giant. That's not pride, okay? Not in your strength, not in your calling, but because God has called you to that moment, and you must go out on that field and go, this is the dumbest thing. I can't even imagine why you're thinking this. But you know what? I'm going to do it because I believe in God. In fact, that's what he does next. Verse 45, David said to the Philistines, you you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. This is what a lot of us don't do. This is not, by the way, I don't don't want you to misread or misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about naming it and claiming it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not talking about gab and grab and all this kind of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is there needs to be a dialogue in your head that goes like this. Everybody else is saying all this other stuff, and I'm claiming what God has called me to do. I understand you could, and and, and I have a feeling at this point, (laughs) Goliath is going, yeah. And by the way, the sword and the javelin and the spear is what's going to kill you today. (laughs) Just so you know. 
but I come against you. Okay? Is this, is this you? But I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. You know what he's doing? He's stating why he's doing what he's doing. Make sure you're doing that. Because this can turn into something way different than what it should be. This is where vision goes wrong, okay? I'm here because I'm so great. I'm here because i got the best ability. I'm here because, thank God, you have me, Lord. God can't use anybody like that. He uses somebody that goes, I understand you have all that stuff. I don't even have any of that stuff. <laughs> so how's this going to work? Okay. Verse 46. This day, circle it, the Lord. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. This is for the men in the room, okay? I will strike you down and cut off your head. Okay, I just, I don't know why I included that. It's just kind of cool. <laughs> this very day, I will give you the carcass of the Philistine armies to the birds and to the wild animals and to the whole world, okay? When I cut off your head and I hold it up, the whole world will know that David is so great. The whole world will know that I've, I am the best champion in the whole world. No. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. <laughs> this ain't about me. I don't even have a sword and a spear. I don't even know how that's going to work. I have to take your sword and cut your head off because I don't have one. <laughs> Verse 47. All those gathered here will know that, that it is not by sword or spear that God, that the Lord saves me. For, you want to underline it? For the battle belongs to the Lord, and he will give you into our hands. The battles is whose? The Lord's. I'm only doing what God has called me to do. <laughs> I just happen to believe that God can do it. I just don't know how, but I believe he's going to do it, and you're going to see it. There is a point to this part right here that is so important, and you could so easily miss it. You know when God wants you to give him praise? Before the victory. Now, if you don't believe that, then you need to go back and read the scriptures. Because I'm not making that up. This is not a paradigm. This is not somebody's book that I read this out of. This is story after story after story in the Bible. When Jesus fed the 5,000, you know what he did? Lord, show them today your glory. Remember that? Before he did the miracle. Okay? When Jehoshaphat did it, you know when they started praising God? You know why it was so important that they started play, playing the music before they knew the other army was dead? They praised him before. David praises God before. Joshua praised God before. Joseph praised God before. When no one else believed. You see, David is the only one on the field that believes. You know what? When Moses parted the Red Sea, you know the only one that fell down and said, I believe God will see his deliverance today. You know the only one that believed? Moses. This is a lonely moment, guys. Nobody else is believing what God can do. And David is praising him before. You know why? Because that is the praise that God loves the most. Did you know that? After he does it, <laughs> anybody can praise him, right? I'm believing you before the crisis. I'm believing you when I see the crisis. And I believe that there's a God in Israel, and I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm believing that you will. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's just a fact. 
There's another reason for this, though, and it's the most important part. If you don't praise him before, there is little to no chance that you will praise him after. Now, you don't believe that. Because you're going, if God would only take this away. Let me tell you something. This is where the story gets rewritten. There's a reason why God causes you to come out on the field and wants to increase your faith today because I've watched it a thousand times and I have a hundred books sitting on my shelf of the story being rewritten that I did this. And believe me, when you're standing there looking at the Philistine giant going, well, you have a javelin and a sword and that's normally how everybody kills each other. But I believe God's going to kill you today. takes God's power to fulfill God's call, and the praise comes before. And this is what happens when you have the faith like David, verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, hmm, David didn't hesitate. Here's what he did. He ran. You want to circle it? He ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. You know what it means? Complete abandonment. That means complete faith. He didn't shrink at all. He's going, I believe God's going to do this. I don't know how. I'm going to do with what's in my hand. And he runs toward him. That's how it's done. Complete abandonment. Not let me think about this. Oh, let me shrink back. Oh, God, do something. Oh, God, please deliver me. No, I believe you can. And now I'm going to run out and do it. And everyone else is watching. That's what I want you to see. Reaching into his bag, he took a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead. And he fell down on the ground. Now, everybody's heard this story, right? And we know what an impossible shot that is. He had to hit him somewhere in here. And the guy's got armor. And who thinks a little stone or rock is going to kill somebody? You can kill people with a sling, I understand. But you don't kill a 10-foot-tall giant that has full armor. Anybody that shoots understands. You know how I shoot sitting still? Do you know how hard it is to hit a moving target while you're running? (laughs) Hmm? He's running, and he throws it at the same time. You get the picture? Because he's believing God. How many think it was the sling that killed the giant? No. It wasn't the stone that killed the giant. It was God, right? So David did what? He triumphed over the Philistine. You know what? Somebody needs to read this story because there's too many Christians that are losing. Can I say it different? This is harsh. There's too many Christians that are losers because we have stopped believing that God can do it. And there's a reason why it had to be a 15-year-old boy instead of the king of Israel. 15-year-old boy instead of one of the other peoples of the armies of the living God that believed it. God will use whoever steps up and believes. i tell you something, if you shrink back, he can still use you. Okay? He can use you to do his mission. Okay, all right, you got me. But you can triumph. With the sling and the stone, without a sword in his hand, God just reiterating, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. He's telling you how impossible it is. Verse 51, after he killed him, what did he do? David ran and stood over him. This is important. Too many people after the victory decide to be falsely humble. And it's having a horrible effect. Well, God did that. I don't know how it happened. David ran. Look what he did next. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, and he drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head. Now, that's gross, isn't it? (laughs) Sorry. Don't tell me violent movies are bad, okay? It's in the Bible. Okay. (laughs) I'm playing. That was a joke. He cut off his head with a sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero, circle it, was dead, they turned and ran. Circle the word ran. The momentum has changed. You picture it? The momentum has now shifted. 
before this moment, they're all hiding. You get the picture? Before this moment, the Philistines are hiding behind their giant warrior. And they're going, we believe because this guy's here. But as soon as he falls, and David holds that head up, and he goes, now the momentum has shifted. And David understands something that Christians need to understand. That when the momentum shifts, you don't, oh, I'm just falsely humble and I don't want to do anything. It's you hold it up and you go, now is the time because it's not just about you. Then, verse 52, then the men of Israel and Judah surged. You want to circle it? They surged. What does that mean? They were invigorated by what David did. Before that, you know what they all did? Including the king hid. But when David did this amazing thing that God had, his faith caused the other people to surge. Don't think the victory is just about you. God wants to use it. So when you do what God said, you hold it up, okay? And you say, this will invigorate you. You get the picture? Don't cut off people's heads, please. Okay. They surged forward as the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. And there the dead were strewn from Shamram Road to Gath and Ekron. Man, they got some hard names. They need to change those. Okay, verse 53, when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered, circle that, they plundered their camp. Can I tell you something? When, when Jehoshaphat won in that battle, you know what they did? They plundered the enemy. When God calls you, there will be a time when there's victory. And let me tell you something. This is the most important part of this message. This moment. When God gives you the victory, this is the most dangerous part of this whole message. When God gives you the victory, make sure you remember him. (laughs) Can I say that? Number five. When God gives you the victory, remember God. Remember it's God who gave you the victory. Don't forget it, okay? You've got to remember it. Now, it helps when you've remembered it before. (laughs) But let me tell you something. This is where the story gets rewritten. And it's so dangerous. Because God may even let you kill the giant, and yet afterwards you will point to yourself and you will write the book saying what I did and what you did and what I did and what we did. And we forget that the glory belongs to God. And it's the worst thing imaginable. Because not only are we not helping ourselves, we're not helping everybody else. Because we're relying on human ability. That's not how it's done. You remember God. And when you do, it changes everything. And God gets the glory and his kingdom is built and we get to be a part of it and it's absolutely amazing. So here's my question for you today. What is God calling you to do? Hmm? You see, some of us, we're going, I know God is calling me to do what? But you see, John, the problem with what God is calling me to do is you don't understand. There's a big giant in the way. There's a big obstacle in the way. There, there's, there's something that's keeping me from doing what God is calling me to do, John. Oh, wait a minute. There is something keeping me from doing what God wants me to do, and I'm looking at it in the mirror. You, know, you see what I'm saying? I mean, have you ever done that? It's like, you know, I've found the enemy, and it's me. I know. I, I recognize this one. I, don't, I, I can't forgive people. I can't, I can't get over my sin. I can't get past whatever this is. John, it's too big for me. What do you think? God's calling you to do something you can do? Remember a holy discontent, not how God's going to do it. That God wants you to do it. And if he does, step out in faith. Get it? And you're going to feel stupid. And people are going to criticize you. But you don't understand. They criticize me, and I'll never do it again because somebody said something mean to me. He'll never use you as long as that's where you're at. 
You're trusting the critic, not God. Who cares? They're going to criticize you. In fact, let me put it a different way. If they're not criticizing you, you probably ain't doing much. Just being honest. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm afraid as critics as anybody else. And it hurts my feelings, and I go home, and when you wrote that on that connection card, I couldn't believe you. I'm just <laughs> Listen to me. Don't let them stop you. Don't you dare let the giant stop you from what God wants to do. There is a God who's calling you. And if God is calling you, now you better make sure God's calling you. And he's calling each one of us to do some stuff. Get it? But if God is calling you to do it, then go for it with complete abandonment. Isn't that right? He ran at him. Now I know that's easy when you're 15, isn't it? Because you haven't felt life. Some of us have. Let me tell you something. God's got a plan for you too. And even if you shrank, God is coming here today saying, it's not too late. I've got this. Stand up. I'm ready for you. And I know it's going to feel stupid. But when it happens, it will invigorate the other people and do yourself a favor. One last thing. Do not forget who gave you the victory. Because the glory belongs to God. Let's stand for prayer. Father, there's a lot of what I said today that I don't like. There's a lot of what I see in your word that I don't like. Lord, I wish you'd take care of the giants without us being there. That would make a lot more sense to me. But then it doesn't. And you have a plan. And Lord, we've shrank back long enough. The church has shrank back from its God-given mission long enough. And it's time that we step up. So God, I pray, give us, give us, give us the ability to do that. Lord, I pray for the one that's here today and is going, you know what? Not only am I scared, but I don't even know God. I've met the enemy, and it's me. <laughs> I pray they know there's a God who, whose son, Jesus Christ, died for their sin, and they can reach out to you and be saved. I pray for the Christian that at one time they had stepped out in faith, but they turned out like Saul, and they're letting sin keep them from what you want them to do. Lord, I pray for the Christian that's been criticized, and they're letting that criticism keep them from doing what God wants them to do. I'm praying for the Christian, Lord, that's seeing the giant, and they're yelling obscenities at them, and it's keeping them because they're afraid and going, no human being can do this, and that's right, because only God can do it. So I'm praying, God, call us. And once you call us, Lord, help us to step up and believe that God can do whatever's impossible, and that we will see your victory in our lifetime. And when it happens, Lord, I pray, that we don't point to us, but we'll point to you. And that you receive all the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, if you need prayer after the service today, we'll be here. For everybody else, God bless you. Have- lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.